Welcome back to Broken Oars Podcast. This episode of Broken Oars Podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Manscaped. Broken Oars and Manscaped are working in partnership until the 12th of November. Right now at Manscaped, you can get 20% off all of their products and free shipping by using the promo code BROKENOARS at the checkout. Loon and I both use their products and we've never been smoother, both in conversation, on the water and also in our personal hygiene habits. Right, enjoy the podcast. It's an absolute belter. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to um, the latest and slightly belated episode of Broken Laws Indoors. We've been hoping to get this one out to you uh, a bit earlier, but summer has been busier than I have expected. Um, today, we are talking to Tony Lockman. Uh, now, Tony is currently working as a personal trainer, but he has a very long and detailed history in both the sport of rowing and indoor rowing. And I've got a feeling that this is going to be one of the most useful podcasts we've done for people who are absolutely looking to go faster. So without further ado, Tony Lockman, welcome to Broken Oars Indoors. Hello, welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Loon. Thank you, Erin. Lovely to see you at long last. I've heard you lots of times, never actually seen you. To see you in person is amazing. You both look very beautiful. No one has ever said that about us before. And Lewin, he's been listening to us. He knows about us. We're in trouble. Yeah, uh, um, potential problem, that one, if he's heard some of the things we've said. Um, so, Tony, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, You've been you've been doing the whole rowing thing for a while, and um, you you told us you started in 1982, and you're looking particularly youthful on the camera. So, um, were, were, were you six at the time, or he started when he was two, back in the good old days, what we like to call the good old days, without concept twos, when men were men and women were women, and we all raced in ironwood canoes that we carved with our own teeth. Not far off, actually. The the blades were, you, know, I, you guys probably don't remember, there were satin blades, wooden blades. They were so heavy and had great big thick handles. The boats, we, we learned to row in clinker boats and then eventually moved to sh- restricted and then the shell boats. Um, I started rowing in 82 at Barn Elms. So I was part of an Inner London Education Authority scheme back then in uh, South London and got boys and girls that generally weren't used to been uh, having the sport of rowing or any other types of those those sports that are kind of minority sports uh, being participating in. And so we, we got to to be lucky enough to get involved in it for our school. And it just took off from there. Uh, we ended up rowing with guys from local schools, other local comprehensive schools. And um, it, did, it helped that my, my PE teacher was Alan Whitwell, who's an Olympic silver medalist. So we were all in awe of him excuse the pun, but we, he was amazing uh, to, to be around and having a lightweight world champion there and an Olympian, Olympic silver medalist. It was just incredible. So that helped. And then we got a guy called Keith Brown coached us at Barn Elms. We moved to Quinton Road, Quinton Road, uh, Boat Club as juniors. Then I moved from there to Kingston Road Club in the late 80s, then on to Tideway Scullers, and then really finished my rowing career at Molesy Boat Club. Okay. And I mean, did you, did you win any noticeable titles during that time? I mean, those are some fairly high power clubs. Well, back in the day, we didn't have concept two ergos. So we did lots of testing on the guessing ergos, uh, which are these great big poles you had and had to try and not hit them at the, when we do your rowing tests. And they were at the Amateur Rowing Association, which is now GB Rowing. We used to go into an attic at the top and do this test. And we're all pretty good, but we wasn't kind of in the class of like the, the Hampton and Eton boys. They were just another league. We were kind of training not as hard as they were. We thought we were, but we wasn't. So at junior level, just okay, not brilliant. Then when I moved to Tideway Scullers, it kind of went up a notch, learned how to scull, because back then we learned to row first, not scull. So I had very dominant on stroke side, just rowed on one side all my as a, as a junior. Uh, so they corrected me, put me on bow side, 
Travis guys did a really good job. There's a legend there called Alec Hodges, uh, who basically ran the club. And together with people like Chris Williams and Marcello Manali, they were legends of the club. And Chris Williams is still there. Uh, they they helped a load of us learn how to skull. And then we ended up doing going quite quick in a quad. Never won Henley in the, in the quad because we always entered the Queen Mother and ended up racing the Germans or the Italians. Or, so we get to the semi-finals and then go out the back door by half the course. But we um, we did all right. And then um, I, I ended up going to the Commonwealth Regatta in 94 in the quad. And we won a silver medal. And then I went to what was then, it could be called the World Cups now, but it was a World Cup regatta. I think went to Paris and Lucerne in 95, then 97. I went to Munich. I think we came fourth in Munich in a quad. And then... Towards the end of 97, we'd be doing loads and loads of racing, loads of seat racing. And we had people like Greg Sell and Johnny Sell as well, who are seat racing. And it was amazing to be around those people. But I, I got into the final quad after 12 of us racing. And we did a time trial at home, Pierpont. And we went quite quick, but we were 0.3 seconds of, off being allowed to go to the Worlds by Jürgen Grobler. So at that point, I thought, <laughs> I've given up quite a lot of time quite a lot of effort and I'm just not quite good enough obviously so that's when I decided to go to Molesy Boat Club and enjoy club rowing and then Molesy Boat Club in 99 we won the Brit and then at Henley and then that was it for me I thought I'll have enough I moved to Bristol in 2003 and in 2004 got a call about two weeks before Henley if we could jump in a quad with some, some legends, that was people like Bobby Thatcher in there. Um, and we jumped in this quad and we won the men's quads at Henley in 2004. <laughs> so that was amazing. We're all pretty fit. I think it was it was one of those things. And that was kind of really the last time. No, I raced in 2006 in a double, or I can't remember, such a long time ago. But that was kind of basically it on the water. And then from that point onwards, towards kind of 2003, 2004 and onwards, I started doing indoor rowing because I was working more. And, didn't have time to go on the water. Just raise a significant point here, Loon, that we've never actually quite addressed. Everyone that we have on this podcast, and we're very honoured to have them, is significantly better than us. That's some serious firepower. Yeah, yeah, the, it is. It is quite noticeable. Um, the you know that is a step or two above where we've ever achieved. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, we'd been to Henley, but we, we left on Wednesday and, um, yeah, it, it is that kind of just, just one, one kind of step above the kind of whole club rowing and sort of bouncing around that kind of international sort of thing. Um, I mean, Tony's saying not much, but he's like 0.03 away from going to Worlds. I mean, that's a pretty damn good, not much. I think we were very fortunate. I, I, we, we had, I, I was so lucky to have people like, I'm very thankful to have people like Harry Marne coaching me, Bill Barry coaching me. These are legends. And um, had to have those people around you, showing you the way forward, telling you how to skull, and then having people like Greg Sell and Johnny Sell and, you know, Richard Stanhope and Wade Hall Crags and people like that all around you. You're just thinking to yourself, how, how can you not row well? You're, 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 you're training with these guys and you're just being dragged along with them. Now, you're very right, Lewin. I was in that kind of that mid-ground where I was kind of doing really well at club level, but not quite good enough to get to international level. So I was bouncing around. But it's only because of the environment I was in. I had great coaches and I was, at, you know, being at Tideway Scullers and Molesy Boat Club, those guys know how to train properly. So you just end up going with it and you know the rest is kind of history that the results work when you you're trained with you're trained with such great athletes coaches and a system can i just jump in again luna i can see you raising him you can leap in straight afterwards but i just want to sidebar slightly and you'll find tony that i tend to do this luna asks the proper questions and i pick up on something very minute that probably no one else is interested in but um if you remember luna we had uh, martin cross on a while ago and he talked about the importance of his mentors and the people that he rode with in his, when he was starting out. And I've actually met Chris Williams because when we rode the length of the Thames, 
we finished at Tideway Scholars. And I just remember this huge figure who looked very like old Father Thames striding down going, Agecroft, come on in, you're done now. It was absolutely fine. And he took, he took us four completely bedraggled, unwashed rowers. He dropped us off in Hammersmith at, at the hostel where we were staying. And he was just absolutely lovely. So as well as training, Tony, what you're talking about is the right environment, the, the Tideway Scholars, the Molseys, the Harry, Harry Mahans, the, the, you know, the, the Chris Williams, having a mentor, having someone who not only you can look up to, but who will kind of pull you along and, 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 make, and pull your standards up and make you aspire, that's a, that can be a real driving force. Oh, absolutely. Bill Barry was the start of it, really. Bill Barry took, you know, we were all kind of in our late teens, early 20s. And he took us, he looked at us and thought, yeah, you're about the right size. None of us could skull for a toffee, but we look big and strong. And he put us through a system and he got us really fit and really strong and taught us how to move a boat. And Bill Barry put up with a lot of rubbish from <laughs> from, from us. You know, oh, I, I was terrible when I was young, youngster. I, I wanted to go out. I was, I was brought up in London, South London. I wanted to go out clubbing with my mates drinking you know and that kind of thing and to turn up on a sunday morning which i often did not going to sleep from a night out and he put up with that and just said get in the boat and row you know credit to him because if i was the coach i'd have dropped me like a ton of bricks and told me where to go he was absolutely brilliant and then harry Marn, um harry Marn really taught me to be professional a bit more because i've always played with rowing because i always think it was a it was a hobby more than anything else that I enjoyed. And I didn't put the commitment that I needed to put in at the right time, I believe, to, to, to warrant the commitment they gave to me. I think I played around with it a bit too much. Uh, and I regret that, but you can't go back. But as a result, I was never quite good enough to, to do what I would have liked to have done. But saying that, uh, I have no regrets because I had a bit of a party when I was younger as well. <laughs> I mean, the 2003-2004 the timescale for when you moved into indoor rowing is quite an important one for me because that was when I was living in Norwich and I was a swimmer and they shut the swimming pool down. And I ended up being um, not really having anything to do. And I've been to a school where they had a rowing machine in the gym and they had a rower as a master teacher who said, no, you've got to get your hands over your knees before you bend your knees. That, that was my precise level of introduction to the ergo. And I said, oh, I'm just going to jump on the rowing machine to keep myself fit while they're fixing the swimming pools. It, it was a brand new 50 meter swimming pool, but something had gone wrong with the filtration system. I had to drain the whole thing. And I just started hauling away on this machine and that was, and I don't think I took it that seriously until um, I got my kind of like only ever, oi, no professionals on a Tuesday night moment where the then captain of the UEA boat club came along and tapped me on the shoulder and said, are you a student here? Can you row for us? Um, and that, that was in 2003 and I didn't really get into, I didn't get into a boat until about 2004, I think. Um, and that was basically just because it just took me ages to find Norwich Rowing Club. Um, and so I'm one of these slightly old people who got into rowing through the indoor rower. Um, now, I, I think we're quite rare these days, but I think that actually used to be quite a big mechanism for bringing people into rowing back in that kind of like early 2000s period of time. Is, is, that, is that your feeling about it, that indoor rowing can actually be a way of bringing people into water rowing? Definitely. Uh being a swimmer, you're going to have huge lungs, so you're perfect for rowing. Swimmers, are, they've got great endurance, great upper body strength, massive lungs, VO2 maxes. Uh, I think the, the, German, the German lad, uh, he's uh, uh, the German scholar. Yeah, on his either. That's it. Ex-swimmer, just went straight into rowing, 
Uh, and I know that his dad was an ex-rower and that was helped and so forth, but he just took to it very quickly. Um, like duck to water. There you go. But um, he he was brilliant. And I think swimmers have that crossover between swimming and rowing. And you always notice that if you get a rugby player, they struggle a bit. They're very good on the, the ergo because they're so strong and powerful, but also very heavy. Swimmers got great endurance, great VO2 max, and are very strong. They know how to move through water, but also they're not very heavy. So their power to weight ratio is excellent. That's why swimmers always make good rowers. Rowers don't necessarily make good swimmers because rowers got great big legs and they tend to sink. Now, going back to going back to the the indoor rowers, if you look at Graham Benton, he's an absolute legend. Another, I keep going about legends, but these people are. Uh, he in indoor rowing, he was a cricketer who used to smoke, and I remember an indoor rowing champs and meeting him, and he just done six ten or something ridiculous like that as his second ever 2000 meter rowing piece. His first one was like 628, just jumped on a rowing machine. So he was a natural, but then he went into club rowing and I think he tried to get into international rowing, but the problem is he, I think he was in his early thirties, we made 30, 31 when he started. And it was difficult to make that transition because you need about four or five years to make that transition. It wasn't impossible, uh, but he did get to, I think he got to a Henley final or two uh, won a lot, did quite well at trials and he did really well. And I think if he would have been maybe four or five years earlier in his mid twenties, he would have got to the Olympics, no doubt about it. But he just was running out. He's always chasing time because he needed four or five years to get the technique. Mm. But yeah, there is certainly a crossover from indoor rowing into, into water rowing back in the early two thousands. And there was a lot of people, but it's difficult to make that crossover when you're a masters. I think when you're younger, it's easier. Yeah. I, I do think something else that didn't particularly help um, Graham go from being a civilian and an indoor rower to being an international rower is that he, he's actually quite a, a financially successful guy. He, he, he's done very well for himself in his job. And he, you know, he sells computers for a living and he, he probably would have had to have taken massive hit to his uh, his personal income um in order to sort of properly take on it international rank because it's not a part-time job anymore is it no not at all and and if you think about what he would have had to give up i, I believe he's won medals in his job in what he does as well so he's very successful in that yeah yeah i i remember going to Oxford Brooks. I was I was a I was a head coach at Thames Rowing Club for a little while, and we took we did a training camp at Oxford Brooks, and I remember Graham Benton being there and said his I think he had an Audi TTR or something like that, ridiculous this powder blue one. I was really jealous. So <laughs> give up all that to to actually row with. It's different if you know that you're going to get there and you're going to win the gold medal or a medal it's more of a challenge to give up everything because you are a little bit older and to, to go against the grain to do it. it that, that requires a lot of belief. And we, we all know that Graham physiologically is good enough. And also I've seen him row and he actually does row pretty well, but it's those fine margins that you pick up over the years of rowing that, that make the difference yeah. at that level. Can I ask a, a question? And this is and this is a non-snarky question before Lewin rolls his eyes at me. Um, back when we were training with with Agecroft, we were told to use the erg as something to reinforce our water technique. So to try and replicate what we I mean, obviously we're not we're not swinging out and, and going to our relative sides, but in, in terms of the same length, the same movement around the finish and the tap down, the same raising the hands to the catch. So really re reinforcing technique. At the moment at Tyne United, we, we have a coach called Dan Armstrong and, and the current thinking is that you don't want to be doing that. You want to treat the erg almost as a, as a, as a separate beast. So he's looking at hands coming straight out, you know, coming in and going straight out, the chain staying parallel to the floor all of the way through. Um, when you talk about making that transition to the water and needing 
three, four, five years to really get a feel for the subtleties of rowing. And that's not a word that a lot of people use about rowing. They think it's this big bash and crash, huge, you know, huge, huge power sport, but it's a, it, it's actually very subtle on the water. Are you looking at the erg as a reinforcing of water technique still? Or are you, what's your feeling on the crossover between the two? Two different sports completely. Okay. I think indoor rowing is fantastic and it makes you hard and it, it trains the right muscles uh, physiologically for power, strength and speed. It will make you quick on the water, but it won't make you fast if your technique is poor. I think that indoor rowing is indoor rowing. It is an, a concept to ergo or if you use any other ergo, water rower. The difference between that and being on a water is, is huge. It's it's a bit like, I guess, playing five-a-side football and saying, would that transfer over into a, a, a match on the grass? It's a different game or, or rugby, rugby sevens to, to, to the full rugby. It's just completely different to me. I, I feel like the, the ergo is a fantastic tool and will make you so fit and strong, but then you need to spend the same amount of time learning to move a boat. They're two different sports, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. And and did you come from a sorry, Loon, One more question, Tony. If that's okay, did you come from a right now in Britain we have a GB orthodox stroke style? Back when you started and having talked to Martin and you know looking a little bit at the history of rowing, there tended to be different stroke profiles in different parts of the country, and different clubs might have different stroke profiles, which sometimes made people coming together to form a boat it might make it slightly harder to blend. Um, so you had, we now have this GB stroke profile. We were obviously coached by Dennis who, who taught, who coached that, but we were also taught by Pete Holmes who taught a very Sprackle and Fairburn-esque, you know, springing, you know, what he called the springing hit style, which is uh, quite, if you look at the Canadians in 2004, when they're really driving back and laying back on the stroke and using the body weight against the pin. Um, what were you brought up with? And how do you now translate that across to the concept too? Uh, <laughs> in the 80s, I, I can only compare my rowing to looking like a chimpanzee in a boat. It was all about how hard you can pull, try and break the blade. It really was awful. And I look at earlier photographs of myself and there was no suspension through the stroke. It was just arms bent, biceps sticking out. It was awful. Um, back in the day, there was no technique. and I think. That that challenged me as I then got coached by the likes of Bill Barry and and uh, I mean I had a coach before that Keith Brown he was really technical he was a scholar he was a brilliant coach and I still know him to this day and he took me when I was thirteen fourteen and he I mean I don't know how he put up with me because he tried to teach me he was a real technician a real smooth rower and I, I just couldn't get it I was just kind of brute force and ignorance and I think I carried that through it wasn't till and even the likes of, of Bill Barry and uh, and Harry Marn trying to coach me how to row properly. Times I got it, most of the times I didn't when I was rowing. It was only when I started coaching that I learned how to row properly. And then I started thinking about the sport. Back in that time, because I was quite strong, I used to, I wasn't very tall, but I was always very strong. I used to win my events by trying to pull as hard as I can. Of course, when you get to a certain level, everyone's pulling hard. So then that's when I, I fell backwards and, and got walloped. But I think that carried on. And then my, my mindset was that I'm going to pull even harder to actually to try and beat these guys, not row better. Coaching, I do think everybody that rows should take a year out, keep fit, keep strong, keep building that, that engine, that uh, physiological engine, but take a year out and coach because it will teach you how to row. Hmm. It's, it's almost the idea that if you want to learn something, teach it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, to be honest, that, that sounds like this should probably actually be the year that I do that. It's just like... You're not going to. Rather than race. Um, various reasons, not least of which I may have, like, damaged my wrist fairly seriously. Um, so... You've obviously done the coaching side. You're now you're now working on the personal training side, and and that's your business. That's that's your full time job, essentially. It um, is. Could you, you, you? You've done some actually very very well produced 
podcasts recently and sort of very, very polished and, and I was slightly envious of those listening to them. But could you like kind of go through that there's a lot of really interesting things in there that I think was slightly new to me, but I've been hearing people bounce them around in other ways in terms of how you recommend people training for indoor rowing or a rowing event get the absolute best out of themselves. So, I mean, you, you seem to have a very periodized approach, but there's also a lot of rest, a lot of cross training in there. So maybe you could expand a bit on that for us. Okay. So if we, it, whether you're, if you're an indoor rower, say your peak would be February, the world indoor rowing champs. We'll use that as a peak. It always work backwards when you're periodizing. If it's Henley, you use July. Um, so that's your, or June, July, Henley women's, Henley Royal Regatta. That's your peak. So you always work backwards when you're periodizing the program. So I always go, okay, you've got two months of competition where the, the 80, 20 formula, the, the Steven Siegel, uh, thing that, that kind of almost goes on a back burner a bit for two months because you can get away with it for two months before you crash and burn. So that's your competition period where the focus is on intensity. Um, you have your pre-competition, which is another two months back from that. So that's four months counting back from your, your main goal. And that pre-competition is where you're starting to incorporate a bit more anaerobic threshold and VO2 max training into, into the program. So you're starting to get used to that intensity. It's almost like a precursor to the hard stuff. Everything before that, everything is strength and endurance base. And with a little bit of threshold and a tiny little bit of, of interval work thrown in, but mainly strength. Because, and the reason I say cross training, because if you try and get on an ergo for 11 months of the year or 10 months of the year, you won't do it. It's just so boring. So swimming, cycling, running, cross country skiing. Uh, I use the elliptical trainer in a gym, which I actually quite like. Uh, ski erg. All those other things, you, you just add them into the minutes. So you do so many minutes, so many hours per week, and those hours get more and more and more. The weight training changes as we move through. So, for example, when I'm doing weight training in the competition period, 10 days before or seven days, seven to 10 days before, we don't do any weights. But up until that period, we are doing mainly power work and a little bit of strength retention. In the pre-competition, we're doing strength. And everything before that is hypertrophy training, which is actually building muscle and correcting any imbalances with the body. So I, at the moment, I'm hoping to do the world indoors in February in my age group. So um, I'm working on a lot of imbalances and my, my base training is general base and it goes into specific base and then into pre-comp. But my base training is the general and specific base training that lasts up until October. And that's working on all my imbalances and I'm cracking the miles or not the miles, the minutes. I never look at kilometers. It's the minutes. Because if you're training a lightweight woman or a heavyweight man and you say do 20K, well, that's going to be different time. One person's going to take them 75, 80 minutes. The other person's going to take 100 minutes. So it's always done on time. And just build up that volume of, of training up and then you can tune it. And that's why at the moment, if I do a 2K erg, I'll probably be 20 seconds slower than what I will be when in February just because I'm doing base. Okay, so th th this is something that um, I can't believe I've forgotten his name. He's going to kill me. Jez, Jez, um, Jez, Jez in yeah. Portugal uh, said, said he, he kind of felt that almost six months was enough in terms of just focusing on the rowing stroke. And he really kind of emphasized the need for being strong, being fit and being athletic up until that point. Um, and so listening to your podcast, you, you also seem to say that you only need in in a year you only need six months of absolutely focused and exclusive rowing training and before that cross training should play a very large part did i did i get the right impression of that 
Yeah, I mean, I would even go as much as only four months of actual rowing. Between the four and six months, depending on how experienced you are, if you're someone who's done a lot of rowing in the past, you can get get away with four months of just being specific on that actual that 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 final goal. If it's if you haven't done much in six months, probably need that that extra time. The rest of the time, yeah, just because you'll get bored, you, you'll get absolutely bored. Senseless. You need to keep it fresh and 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 and, and real, really. Because if you don't, it's just going to be terrible. If 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 I if I just sit on an ergo from let's say the transitions in March, because the race in February, transition in March, you start training in April. By the time I get to to September, October, I'm going to give up. There's no doubt about it. Sit on an ergo all that time. It's just going to be terrible. So during that period of time, all I do is I just completely cross-train. I do maybe one or two ergs a week. I did one today, this morning. I haven't done one since last Friday. Actually, no, Thursday. So that's how much longer it's been. I'm looking one or two a week up until that period. It's the same also, I have to say, with rowing on the water. If I've got elite athletes, so if I've got people that are trying to win Henley Royal Regatta or Henley Women's Regatta, I tend to say to them that we will meet at weekends to go rowing, but the rest of the week will be based on cross-training because I'll keep them out of the boat. And then when I get them back in the boat in January, February, they are so fit and strong and they're, they're enthusiastic. It's the mental side of it. They just really want to actually to actually train. You know, they want to get in that boat and do and do and row because you know what it's like if you start rowing in september october by the time you get to february march you're like oh for god's sake i'm just getting bored of it so is that um jez talked about the athletic mindset as as well when he because his his feeling was in british rowing at the elite level we've now maxed out the effort lever it's very very hard for elite level rowers who are going to internationals to, to fit any more training in than they all already do. Cause the Jürgen approach was a high volume approach, which then filtered down to club level. It filtered down to age croft when, when we were there and all of the rest of it. Um, Des talked, uh, uh, sorry, Jez, not Des talked about the psychological lever and um, the technical lever and what you're sort of advocating is very much in line with him, which is this idea that, if you have an athletic mindset, which he described as being a, a hungry, competitive, problem-solving mindset, by cross-training um, and by not burning yourself out on just constant ergs, constant water training, and it, it can get incredibly repetitive no matter how dedicated you are, are you seeing a benefit to the body and the mind in actually stepping away from the boat going for a run, doing a skipping session, doing a CrossFit session, doing, you know, doing something completely different as long as you're banking your minutes. I think so. I, I can only speak from experience and the people that I've coached and myself. So for myself, I, I probably won't start uh, training seriously till about October. Everything from April to October will be, will be cross training with a couple of ergs thrown in. Um, with people that I train, it's exactly the same. People that are training for the indoors, they, they have a training program. It's all cross training for, as Lewin said, uh, about four to six months before the event, we start to, to include more, more erg training. On the water, about 10 years, no, it's a bit longer than that. Crikey. Uh, 14 years ago, I think it was 2008, 2009, I coached a bunch of lads at City of Bristol Rowing Club. They asked me to come down and do a bit with them. And it was December, January, and I was looking at them and they were not in good condition. So we started training them and they did work really well. They, they, I think they're in the top hundred in the eight set and they got to the semi-final in a four at the Brit. Then the following year, it was like in a following scene in September, they was like, okay, we're ready to go. We really want to do this. And I didn't see them till January. I said, I don't want to see you. I'm not going to come down and coach. I'm not going to see you till January. But what I want you to do is this. And I sent them a program. You have to do weights. You have to uh, do your runs. You have to cycle. You have to. You can get in pairs and small boats if you want, but try not to do too much. And then we just, they got even better. They were so excited after Christmas to be rowing. They did ever so well. I think they came 31st in the eighth head. And this is a crew who were 200 and something two years previous. Again, they got to the semi-final, losing narrowly to the, the guys who won it in the Brit that year. And it was just everything excelled. And it's because they were, I believe it's because they were fresh and they wanted to do it. They also had jobs. They also had families. 
so they could you know not to commit all that time to actually having to go down a rowing club every weekend from september made a big difference they can get on a bike they can go for a run before the kids get up whatever it is they can do but there was a program that had to be so many minutes of training they had to do so many weight sessions i didn't care how they did it as long as they did it and that made all the difference psychologically and physiologically so with all that cross-training, because th- this is something, again, Jez mentioned this, um, great podcast with him. How do you cross-train? Do you just kind of like stick to the 80-20 rule? Do you, do you kind of like do your low-intensity stuff cross-training, your high-intensity stuff on the earth? Do you just mix it all up? Or do you just literally say, oh, I'm just going to go for a run and do what I feel like? Well, it's a bit, it is a bit like how you feel on a day you know i i put on a program i I put like 75 minutes ut2 so okay 75 minutes you can do that however you like you can do it on an erg you can do it on a sculling boat you can go for a run you can do it uh, cycling whatever however you want to do it the intensity bits i tend to favor them being done in the boat or on the on the ergo I just think that keeps you kind of that 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 real. I could talk about being real. It's the reality of the the pain that you feel when, when you when you're training. So that's the the one part of it that I like to see do is any anaerobic threshold or or interval training. If you can try to do them on the on the row machine or in a boat. Everything else, just just as you like. Fair enough. So and. And weights. So you're you're talking about um, training for strength, training for power, training for speed as well with weights. I mean, how how do you kind of? Um, I mean, how do you recommend weights to people? I mean, sort of without obviously going into like the details of the program, but. Well, it's in some ways, it's exactly the same as your endurance training. It's about volume. And as we get towards the race, the volume decreases and the intensity increases. So, for example, for six months of the year, I'm very much a a believer in kind of the sort of eight to 12 rep range, the three to four sets hypertrophy training uh, with lots of single arm, single leg, keeping the basics like the deadlift, the back squat. The, uh, the bench press, a row, keeping those basics in there and building up uh, what I call subsidiary um, exercises around that to support it. So like a single a single leg press, uh, a dumbbell chest press with one arm, you know, with the other arm holding the core strong. Uh, reverse, rows have got notoriously weak hamstrings. So uh, I would do single leg curls, uh, I've got a massive discrepancy between my left and right hamstring. And I did a bit of sprinting in the past. I used to tear my left hamstrings quite a lot. And you can see why. My left hamstrings are really weak. So I do an extra set of single leg curls on my left hamstrings. So it's just correcting all that. Then as we get into the business end of the year, so we start going to the pre-competition and, and we're looking at, what, four months really from the event, things start to change. So it's all that hypertrophy training balancing, correcting, building muscle, putting muscle on a frame, getting the tendons, ligaments, bones and muscles, everything strong enough for you to be able to actually do the real heavy stuff. The pre-competition is where we go into to reps of three to five sets of five to six sets, real heavy stuff. So you're doing the big deadlifts and you're only looking at five base exercises. The subsidiaries really come away and then you can't really do much more than that. And, and also that, that's more, no more than 40, 45 minutes. Whereas when you're doing the hypertrophy training, you're looking at an hour to an hour and 15 in the gym, you're looking at 45 minutes, probably maximum in the gym because it's such a, a, a it has such an impact on your central nervous system doing these big lifts. And then moving into the competition stage, we then keep one strength session in. So we're going from, I'll just rewind a bit. We're going from four sessions a week. I do upper body, lower body, upper body, lower body through the, the base season. Then we go into the pre-competition where we go to two to three sessions a week of strength training. Then we go into two sessions a week into the competition where one's strength and one's power-based. And that power-based, one is the three to five reps of uh, five to six sets of the, the base, like the back squat, the deadlifts, etc. 
and then we move into the power phase which is um that's going to be like plyometric training so your box jumps your depth jumps uh single leg hops uh press ups clap press ups you can also if you're a rower you can do it on the boat so you can do your, your power strokes and that sort of thing and that's just developing that explosive power that you have we also do some some reps where we drop the weights right down and we do uh it's about 75 percent of your maximum lift and we do things different exercises like power cleans which are very explosive kettlebell swings which are hugely explosive we do those sorts of exercises that come in and replace some of the big strength exercise as we get towards the competition so we're really fine-tuning but we're we're building that huge base like we are with endurance in that first bit thank you very much for that i mean that's that's given me a lot to think about not least of which because if there's you know being a fairly time crunched individual having family having a job i tend you know the, the thing that's fallen by the wayside for me is very much um strength training and i do tend to pay a price for that in niggles and injuries i think um in in terms of in terms of getting older which unfortunately we all are um how should we how should we look at the balance between strength and endurance training because i've always felt that one of the great things about being young is like your endurance training made you strong and that you know that didn't that hasn't really happened for quite a while for me uh, it's all it's all to do with hormones really isn't it uh, after the age of 35 our hormones start to to go backwards and um when i, I didn't lift any weights up until when was i my, my mid-30s when i started lifting really when i was rowing i was rowing i just wanted to row but yeah. i did have new injuries uh after the age of 35 your testosterone starts to reduce i think there was a i can't quote the name of the study but there's a study that i read it was about 2 2019 i think it was done and they studied four groups of of men uh they had men in their 30s their testosterone levels men in their 30s that trained men in their 30s who didn't train men in their 50s who trained and men in their 50s who didn't train this is weight training and the highest levels of testosterone were the men in the 30s who trained the second group were the men in the 50s who trained who had higher testosterone levels and the men in the 30s who didn't weight train which speaks volumes really so we need to continue lifting weights as we get older even more so so you both look very young at the moment if you don't mind me saying but when you get to my age <laughs> I've, I've, I've got a filter i've got a filter <laughs> when you get to my age it's really important that you start to lift and the more that you lift the, the the less chances you have of getting injured and therefore the more endurance training and base training and interval work you can do it really and also there's a i don't know if you know about jensen's model the danish coach who had a, a test medal his danish lightweight athletes and he did four-day test uh and in that four-day test it it was peak power first day and so it's a 10 10 second test and a 20 a 20 minute test they had 30 seconds uh, sorry 30 minutes recovery between second day was a 2k day three was a 60 second test and day four was a 60 minute test and from those tests you have to be a certain percentage of your 2k and from that you can work out where your weakness is so for me i did it aerobic endurance is terrible on me i just always think it's good my, my peak power is good but i noticed as the years have gone on my peak power's got less when i start lifting go through a heavy weights program my peak power goes up now if my peak power is much higher and i have a higher peak power that means i'm working at a lower percentage i'm using less energy when i'm doing my 2k to get my score so that was his idea and as we know, the Danish lightweights were incredible during the early 2000s. They were just unstoppable. And he coached them, and it worked, it worked for the women and the men's teams. So I use that formula quite a lot. So, yeah, that, that's actually um, a really kind of important idea that I'm, I'm not sure. So, I mean, it's, you know, particularly as I've been looking at more and more training programs over the summer, and I've been looking at, the i suppose the offerings out there for people who are privately offering coaching and rowing there, there are quite a lot of people now 
who are saying, you know, we'll get you to your best ever 2K. That kind of testing protocol where, where you're testing all aspects of your physiology from like, you know, the very basic kind of creatine phosphatase, what can you do for 10 strokes, all the way down to what can you do over 60 minutes. Um, that's always struck me as a very, very kind of good, but very, very difficult to, because, you know, it does take four days of your time at the beginning of the season. And I mean, I've never done the full thing. I've, I've always been able to maintain kind of like an under, I've, I've always built my force time graph in for a given season i've known sort of what i can do for 5k what i can do for 2k um but is there a certain amount of dread that you have before those four days <laughs> oh god yeah i mean christ the, the 10 second test is is quite nice <laughs> but, but the uh 30 minutes later you've got to do it what well, it's i think jensen uses a 6k model but i change it to 20 minutes because if I'm training, uh, unless you're an international athlete, you're not going to do 6K on an ergo in 20 minutes. Uh, so I, I use the 20-minute model. Um, that's a killer, an absolute killer. And the next day, you've got to do a 2K. You know, my God. And then the next day, you've got to do a minute, which isn't so bad. And that's testing your, your anaerobic uh, power so that, 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 or capacity. So that's not so bad. But then the day after that, you've got a 60-minute hour of power. Uh, it's It's awful, absolutely awful. But I... I do test it usually. So I've got people now that I'm training. They're doing their tests at the beginning of September. So coming up, they will do their tests in December and then they got the racing. So we would, we will have that. They'll have to do it twice. And if I'm training people on, so I'm training some masters rowers for the world masters or European masters next year. Cause I think the world masters in South Africa. So I think they go, they're going to the Europeans, but, and, and Henley, uh, Henley masters. And they will do it uh, in September. They, so they're, they're coming up to do their first one. They're doing one in December and they're doing one at just before Easter. So so we can see, they can plot on the graph to make sure that everything's moving in the right direction. And then after Easter, so say they're on the water rowers, after Easter, I will look at it and I say, okay, Lewin, your endurance is brilliant, but your peak power is not. So we need to, to change that. So we're going to, your program is going to be based and heavily geared towards peak power. Aaron, your endurance is awful, absolutely terrible. <laughs> so, but you are a, a, a muscle god in a gym. So you're an absolute got massive peak power. So we're, we're going to then base everything towards endurance for you, even though we're coming into that time of the season, because that's going to benefit your 2K. And it's trying to get everyone, people physiologically built differently. And we, we tend to have one training program for everybody, and it does not work. You can do a base training session for everyone. But as we get to the business time of the year, you have to weight it towards people's uh, weaknesses. Fair enough. So if, if we're going to sort of dive back into indoor rowing as like a specific topic, um, one thing I found this year when I, I got much more into kind of the online indoor rowing races, which was a huge amount of fun, um, was that I was almost doing, there was a new race to do every single month, almost. So there was, there's always the cross team challenge in the background. There's always like one day a month you can do a flat out effort. But then you've got, there's this kind of new breed of competitions coming through, which, uh, so, Romania, the Row Series, Road Royalty are probably the best example, but there are lots of different things. Um, now, you have to pay money to do them, but essentially you'll get a different challenge every week for four weeks. And you're scored on each one of those. And the person with, it ends up the person with the fewest points is the, is the person who wins, but you know, if you got one point for being first, etc. That's a huge amount of fun. But is there any way of fitting that in with a decent 
proper organized periodized approach oh definitely yeah you've got to have fun but again it goes back to the abc races so if you're doing the world indoors as your a race and the british indoors is your say a b race uh, or it could be another a race but i tend to do it as a b race then these other races are all c races i.e rather than saying okay today we're going to do four four eight minutes uh with, with two minutes rest at threshold or we're going to do uh 10 two minutes with two minutes equal recovery at a vo2 max or interval level then what we go is we go okay well we'll scrub that off you're going to do your row royalty this week and we just i know row royalties every week for four weeks which by the way i absolutely despise because you have to be tactical in that and you have to sometimes go a little bit light there a little bit i can't because i'm just like go bang i do it and then I, I'll blow up for whatever's next, but I, I have no filter. You have to be really quite intelligent to do that. And I fell on that, that part, but anyhow, um, going back to it, you just add it in. So I really like these, these, I, I want to see more online races and I want to have more presence, uh, indoor own online races. And I want to see more presence on the internet as well. And like a proper calendar, like you have like, uh, in rowing and, and get the all good the international organizations they're starting to come on board you know like world rowing i've got now got an official world rowing indoor championships but to make it a sport in its own that is associated to rowing i'd like to see a lot more and i think it's fun and it's it just adds to it we're not professional athletes at the end of the day we've got to have a bit of fun yeah do you okay right the, aaron sorry i'm going to get into controversial territory here do you think that world rowing should unify the masters categories for indoor rowing and water rowing <laughs> um, do i think that they should unify yes <laughs> yeah okay but I, I i just think it would just be great to have like masters a indoor rowing champion that, that or, or yeah masters d um, it would be a lot easier and better uh, it's, it's better but but then, then you'd actually have the chance of being masters d indoor rowing champion and masters d british i, I don't know quad champion I, yeah, I, I i really like that idea and that's that's actually where i want to go i want to get back in a boat i haven't been in a boat for ages and an iron up a felipe skull but i don't can't afford it at the moment so i just bought a van but I'm kind of like saving, saving. I want to buy one. And eventually what I want to do is all my indoor training. I want to do my winter of indoor training personally. And I want to, to become the British indoor rowing champion at my age group or the world indoor rowing champion at my age group. That's my goal. And then I want to do the same in the, in the boat, whether that's in a single yeah. skull, quadruple skull, whatever it is. I agree 100%. It just makes it fun and gives yeah, you something I'll to go for. I'd like that um right now as as i said i mean with the broken in oars indoors what i was really trying to do this summer was start to um review some of the training programs that are out there um now there's a lot of free material there's a lot of information that you can get i i personally think since the good old days of like 2004, 2005 with the, um, with the old concept to UK website. Since then, the, the quality of freely available material has gone down quite a lot, but there is now much, much more really good or, or there's a very, very wide option of people who are offering private services. So pay me a certain amount of money and I will coach you in indoor rowing or in rowing to a certain end goal. What should you be other than, they have to be called Tony Larkman, what should you be looking for in, um, in, in somebody, you know, what, what, what are the signs that you should be looking for in considering a good online coaching service if you're a rower or an indoor rower well i think you've got to look at reputation to begin with one of the best indoor rowing coaches is graham benton's indoor rowing coach and who also coached nick fleming who is 
known as Big Bird back in the day. He was another legend. Uh, I think he was the first non-indoor row to go sub six. But uh, a guy called Eddie Fletcher has coached them both. And Eddie Fletcher is a pretty big name in the indoor rowing world. And he's a physiologist. He knows his stuff. Um, his plans are very secret. Even I don't know what his training plans are. Uh, but he gets results with everybody he trains. So somebody like him, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't mind paying a bit of money, quite a bit of money, to, because you know that he's going to give you a plan that's, that has got success in the past. And I think looking at reputation is one thing. Uh, I also think that looking at what people have done personally themselves, but then you go into difficult territory because you could have someone who's really good, really fast, a sub six, 40 year old, amazing. But what you haven't realized is that that guy trains twice a day, every day, and he's been doing it for like the last 20 years. And then he gives you his program, a watered down version, and it's not as good. It just doesn't kind of work like that. I think you're looking for someone who's got a reputation of, doing consistent plans for all types of athletes and getting good results from it. And I, I can't think of any, I mean, I don't know much about the indoor rowing coaches out there, to be honest. I know about the water rowing coaches, but I know that Eddie Fletcher is, is one of the best. I think he's kind of the, the Jürgen Grobler of the indoor rowing world as far as coaching is concerned. So if you, if you look at him as the, the ultimate coach, and then just <laughs> work down from there. <laughs> but I, I'm very, fair, very worried about getting coaches that are just generalized off the shelf. I, I never, ever do off the shelf coaches. So uh, off the shelf coaching plans, I've got, I've got training plans and I've got templates and those templates then are then personalized to a person through the tests, the Jensen tests we do, I can personalize a program to suit them. That, I, yeah, okay, I, I, I think that's quite, quite an important point because a lot of the things that are being offered do seem like, tell me your 2K score, here is a PDF, can I have some money, please? Mm. I mean, I, I, instinctively, I don't think that that's a particularly effective model for the for being coached, um, whether remotely or, um, I suppose, as an online coach rather than like being a being a member of a rowing club. I would agree. I mean, is there not also Tony in the way that you approach it? And I think Lou and I have talked about this in some of the great training plans of our time episodes what a lot of people are looking for is not necessarily a week by week plan, although having one that's tailored specifically is far better than having one that's kind of generalized. But are they also looking for maybe a level of engagement? It's a little bit like someone who wants to get fit and hires a personal coach, not because, not because the personal coach is telling them something that they, that they don't know, but it actually acts as a spur. It acts as a motivation to know that they have that, that engagement and that they're kind of reporting back to someone as much as they're reporting back to themselves. Yeah, completely. Uh, uh, personality has a lot to do with it and who you get on with. Some coaches uh, uh, get on better with other athletes, some with, 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 with others. I know that when I was rowing, for example, uh, my coaches, God knows how they got, they put up with me. I was awful. I was absolutely awful to be coached when I was younger. Uh, I just had my mind everywhere. But some coaches I linked really well with and they got the best out of me. These other coaches that I didn't link with, they got the best out of other people. So it's having that kind of that, that link, that personality, that the, the, the two almost like it's, it's having that relationship, isn't it? That you can trust that other person I think is so important. And that comes across whenever you have a training plan, you need to speak to your coach and you need to engage with them. I would say at least monthly, through either Zoom or phone or even meet, you know, some of my people that I train are in the, the south of England, so I can meet up with them. We have a, a lunch and so forth and have a chat about things. Others are in America, so it's kind of, you know, we have to go on the, the Zoom chat. But I think it's important to have that, that, that <laughs> it always works when you, you know you can be yourself with somebody. You can have a bit of banter and you're not, you don't go away from a meeting feeling exhausted. You go away from a meeting feeling invigorated and, and yeah and I want to I want to do this I think that's really important and that is as much as what the person knows who the person is 
you get on and you trust that person you can really have a good relationship and work together because it's very important that the athlete tells you how they're feeling because if i give if i give you a program Aaron, <laughs> you know you're waking up every morning and you're getting tired and tired and you know your weights are getting lighter and your splits and you're just getting ill all the time it's not working we need to have that chat so the feedback is very important as well but you need to have that that dialogue between the two and get on really well okay can i ask another question loon before you dive back in go, go for it yeah yeah um and this is okay so i'm not quite sure how to phrase this tony but but imagine that you have someone like myself or lewin who have quite a long history of training and following training plans is there a is there a benefit and at our stage of life great age you know zimmer frames all the rest of it of actually going back to someone like yourself and going look this is where i am this is where i was i'll never be where i necessarily where i was but because of my experience i know that i need to do some long slow stuff some short fast stuff throw some heavy stuff around do some stretchy stuff and repeat and i will get fit you know which is basically my mindset you know i did something short and sharp yesterday i'll try and do something longer today would i be missing out in 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 just following on that path of some long slow stuff some short fast stuff throw some heavy stuff around and do some stretchy stuff repeat it leads to fitness but if i came to you and went right tony um this is where i am this is where i want to be and you would go well actually you know the things you're doing are not benefiting you what we're going to do is this you know the targeted approach the 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 specifically targeted we're going to do this this is going to be the micro cycle this is going to be the macro cycle this is your goal this is how we're going to work towards it rather than than just that i'm at that age i'll just kind of generally keep fit with what i already know it's like you know you can still you can still learn at our great age i guess is what i'm asking yeah i think you you need to tidy it up i would say you need to get it all all neat and tidy it's okay and this goes back to the, the first point i made when i said there are so many fit strong people out there but they're not getting the best out of it so they're doing the same thing day in day out with no goal and it's amazing that if you actually tidy everything up and put it into a nice neat plan how much faster you go now you have to be patient so with the whole 80 20 polarized approach to training so many people give up after three four months that's usually the time they say i'm seeing no benefit you know I, i'm not going any i'm actually going slower i'm not getting any faster and you say yeah yeah but you're building you're building you're building if you've got the patience and 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 you can keep doing it and you're working towards a goal and then after six months five six months the plan starts to change you start to go into more and you get quicker and quicker and then you start getting faster than where you was before that's when you get the belief but people give up too soon they don't believe the program works because they've been doing it for four months they've got no benefit from it because they've got tired and strong they go back to their own ways of training where they do a bit of fast work a bit of slow stuff chuck a few weights around do a bit of flexibility they get quick again but they never improve now i know as we get older you say you want to get back to where you you'll never get back to where you are but you don't want to slow down as fast as you would do and i get that i'm not necessarily sure that we slow down at a rate that people perceive we do uh, i've done some work with some people and not with the rowers at the moment but i've noticed it with a runner and a cyclist where i've tidied it up and they're in their 40s uh, one's in their 60s actually i forgot to include him and they're actually going faster when they're in their 20s and then i'm going back to myself and i've really tidied so i've not had a plan i've not periodized training for myself since i was in my my mid-30s so now i'm in my 50s i'm periodizing i go okay so in may i decided to periodize for the world indoors never done it before though not for indoor rowing and i thought okay i'm going to do it this year so since may i've been chucking weights around the goal between may and september has been strength the goal between september and uh, november is endurance the goal november december is threshold and then vo2 max sprint january february so i'm working on pacific areas so if i have to miss a session at the moment i will miss an endurance session over a weight session because weights is my, my goal now i've noticed now i'm 53 i've noticed that from when i was in when i was lifting in may to what i'm lifting now 
I'm lifting. Uh, I'm doing tens and twelves. Uh, actually, I'm coming down to eight soon. But the the weight that I'm lifting, the poundage I'm lifting, is more than what I was lifting 20 years ago. So, what my point is is that I believe a lot of us we keep doing the same things because we know they work, but we're not really sure. We 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 need to have that confidence to make that leap across the the valley into the next field because there might be riches even greater for us there. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I no, get no, what you're trying to say. It's, it's you can, you get, you do what you've always done. You'll get what you've always got. So why let's 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 actually go back and focus in on this in the way that we probably used to when we were younger because we had those goals and we had those stepping stones throughout the season that we built on. Yeah, and I've had, a, I, I have actually had athletes before. In particular, I can remember an athlete I had from New Zealand, and she was going through the period where. She was going slower and slower and slower. And she was actually a good athlete when I picked her up, but she was getting slow. She was going through this, this, this kind of periodization period. And I, I was trying to explain to her, you will go slow. Uh, but she had problems in her personal life, which led to stress, which was causing even more issues. And stress is a big issue when it comes to performance at any time of the year. So she was going through a lot of stress in her personal life. That's had an effect on her performance. She didn't believe in the program. She was going slow. So she stopped. And I keep an eye on her because I feel like I failed her. I really do feel like I failed her because as a coach, I need to be there, not just as a coach, but almost as a friend. And I'm to put around someone when they're stressed to say, it's going to be okay. We need to push through this together. Let's use the training as a stress reliever from what's going on. But I feel like I failed her because I didn't. And I look at her scores and she's still not where she should have been. It's very important to have that belief and make that, that, that jump and to just to believe that, you know, nothing comes easy. Everything is difficult before it comes easy. I think that's a really good saying to remember. Mm. Fair enough. Tony, to be honest, I think that's a really good place to leave it. Um, thank you hugely for coming on. That's been a great pod. And um, Aaron, unless you've got something you want to ask or... Can you tell us, Tony, how we can find you? Okay. Because otherwise we'll sign off going, this man's a genius. And then you'll basically vanish back into the electronic ether. So if someone was interested in working with you in, in being coached by you and getting in contact with you, let's have all the details of how we can reach you so that we can, we can try and give a bit of a platform to what you do. Well, I'm on Instagram on Tony Larkman and Twitter on Tony Larkman. Uh, you can catch you catch me through that way or you can email me tony at tonylartman.com or the website tonylartman.com and there's a that's the personal training website but there's an indoor rower bit on that but what um i would say is is just to to do contact me because i'm not really it's it's indoor rowing coaching is not my bread and butter personal training is i'm doing it to try and push the sport and because I enjoy it so much, and it's really good for people who give up rowing or give up rugby, give up swimming, give up other sports that want to continue being competitive and athletic and keep fit and strong. I think it's really good because it's, it's very good with your time. You just have an ergo, jump on it and, and you're done. So I think if we do that, then then we can, you know, contact me and I'll give you as much free information as I can. I'm not on it to to charge you lots of money to get anything out of it. I just want to keep spreading the word of indoor rowing and to get people in to enjoy it. Tony Lockman, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you both. I've, I've appreciated it. And thank you for inviting me on. I'm very grateful. I love your podcast and I will continue to listen. Thank you.